Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As student pastor, Justin Stevers shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Um, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 That's where we're going to be today. As you're flipping, I, I was having to uh, drive Haddon around earlier. Sometimes when he doesn't take naps, um, I just have to put him in the car seat and I can drive down 29. I won't even make it to Concord and he'll be asleep already, right? Then hopefully I could turn him back and put him in his crib. Uh, so that's what I, I tend to do, and I'll put on a song for them. I'll put on some songs for them, and usually they're kids' songs, about 90 seconds long. So we'll get through two songs, and then I'm able to put on what I really want to listen to, and that's an audiobook. So I just wanted to, to find out really quick. Um, actually, today I, I tried to put it to my podcast and then he started crying, so I put it back on the song. Then a couple more songs, I put it back to the podcast. He started crying again, so it didn't work today. But I wanted, I wanted to find out, when you go on a road trip, do you guys listen to talkers or singers? Okay, so if you listen to like music and whatever on the radio, is that you? You're, if you're normal, raise your hand. Okay, then if you listen to like talk radio, podcast, books, I see you, I see you. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, good. We, we, there's more of us than I thought. Lizzie gets very, I don't want to say mad, but annoyed with me uh, when I just, the phone just automatically starts playing a book, and she looks at me and is like, is this for school? It's like, no. Can we listen to music? After they get on to their next thought, and then an hour later, she's asleep, and I can listen to my next podcast. But with all that said, uh, I like to listen to audiobooks. I like to listen to biographies, and I remember uh, kind of has a point. Uh, I remember um, the first time I heard a biography of this famous Christian mis missionary. A uh, famous Christian missionary. I, I actually didn't hear it through the book, through a podcast, but uh, probably in a sermon somewhere. Um, and the, the missionary, you guys may be familiar, familiar with his name, uh, is the missionary named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott um, in the 1950s, if, if you're not super familiar with this story, long story short, uh, there was a group of young missionaries who went to Ecuador to uh, reach an isolated, remote tribe in the jungle. Um, this native Ecuador Ecuadorian tribe called the Akua Indians. Bless you. Uh, they, 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 had no, they had no contact with any non-Akua Indians their whole lives. They've never seen someone who didn't look like them. They've never seen someone from the outside world. And these missionaries knew the challenges that they were going to face by trying to contact the Akua Indians, but they were faithful in trying to reach these people because they knew that God had a message for them. So they located the tribe. They made various flybys overhead with their, their, their single-engine plane. They would fly by so that the tribe could see um, a plane and get kind of used to that uh, sight. And then a couple weeks of that, they started sending down gifts from the plane so that 
hopefully they would get the message that we're friendly, we come in peace. So the, the tribe was receiving these gifts, and then after a couple weeks, they said, okay, I think we can make contact. And the missionaries made contact with the people, uh, and they were greeted by the Indians, and they, they entered into the tribe. And they stayed there for several days, and they would report back to base camp over radio and relay that, that everything was going well. Everything was fine, and they were hoping that they could start sharing the gospel soon. But then, sadly, there was one day while the base camp was waiting for the radio and that broadcast didn't come. There was suddenly a group of the natives uh, in the tribe. They got up, they attacked the missionaries, stabbing them with spears until all five men were killed on January 8th, 1956. Pete Fleming, Jim Elliott, Roger Udarian, and Ed McCauley and Nate Saint were all martyred. They were all killed for their faith, for trying to share the gospel with this tribe in Ecuador. And I remember hearing that story and just like being heartbroken, right? Like what a tragedy, but then Praise God, the story doesn't end there. The story continues. The, the missionary, the home base, including the wives of those men, they stayed. They were faithful and, and eager for the mission. And a few years down the road, they were able to make contact again. And that time, they won the whole tribe to Christ. And what a powerful God we serve, right? The, the, because of these martyrs' sacrifice, they were able to pave the trail for the next wave of missionaries. They were able to plant the gospel, see it flourish in people's heart, and only a sovereign God can take that tragedy and use it for good. And I love that story. And I love Jim Elliott and um, Elizabeth Elliott has written many great books, um, including uh, the biography on Jim Elliott, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm thinking of Jim Elliott today is he wrote one of the most just profound quotes I've read outside of the Bible when he was in college in 1949. In his diary, he wrote th this sentence. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to, who gives that which he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Christ said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And that was Jim Elliott's and those missionaries' heartbeat. And that's the underlying thread of our gospel life. Uh, Galatians 2.20 says, if, if you belong to Christ, you've been crucified with him. You, you've lost that which you cannot keep. Your old life is gone, but you've received true life, eternal life, that which you cannot lose. And because of this truth, because we've given up what we can't keep, we've gotten what we can't lose, because of that, we as Christians live differently today. We live for a different purpose. We live for a different goal. We live for eternity and for a great reward with Christ. We have eternal riches that we're living for and 
And for the sake of these eternal goals, for the sake of these eternal rewards, for the sake of making an eternal impact for our pursuit of Christ, we are going to make sacrifices for the gospel. And some sacrifices may be big, like Jim Elliott's sacrifice. Some sacrifices, we might be called to sacrifice a right or some freedoms that we have, or they may be as small as sacrificing some preferences that we have. But for the sake of the gospel, Christians should be willing to make sacrifices because they are all in for Christ. Christians should be all in for Christ because he went all in for us when he went to the cross and rose again. And with, with that thread of thought, with that thought in mind, Paul is continuing that all-in message here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you, if, if you're, I think you already flipped there, if you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul started his section on Christian freedom, and he talked about how love limits our freedom. How if, if meat causes someone to stumble, I'm going to avoid meat like the plague. Because I love that person so much, I'm willing to sacrifice so that they can grow. And here in chapter 9, Paul is building on to that principle. And now he uses himself as an example of sacrificing his rights and freedoms for the sake of the gospel. So with that said, we're going to, uh, if, if you will, let's stand as we read God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be verses 1 through 18. And we're going to continue Paul's thought here. Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. My answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat? And to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? Who goes a warfare any time at his own charges? Who plants a vineyard and eats not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of an ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God care for the oxen? Or saith he, all, saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers in, of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that the they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. 
Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Let's pray, and we'll dive into it. God, you are so good, Lord. Thank you for your word and giving us your truth. Thank you for empowering us with your spirit. I pray that we will all hear from you, apply it to our hearts, and then to our hands and feet as we serve you and those around us, Jesus. Be with us tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So in this passage, I want us to take away one main point, and it's that we should live all in for the gospel by making sacrifices for eternity. And Paul is, I think, making this point. We should be all in for the gospel and make sacrifices for eternity, and he shows this point through his example in three ways. We see it in his rights, the church's responsibilities, and in his refusal or in his sacrifice. So first, we're going to see we should be all in. We're going to look at the example. Notice Paul's rights, what Paul is owed. Verse 1, Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? So Paul starts these verses, uh, this section in verses 1 through 3, he starts with defending his apostleship. He, he starts by defending himself uh, if, if he is truly an apostle. And, and Paul here is being probably attacked within the church. People in the church are attacking his character. There are people in the church who, who want him to be this powerful influencer like the teachers and the philosophers of the world. And if you remember uh, chapters one through three, if you remember when we were going in 1 Corinthians way back then, uh, the, what the culture would do is they would find a, a philosopher, a teacher, they would attach their name to him by following him around and giving him money, and he would come into the cities and he would impress people with, their, with his great speaking ability, and that's how people would make names for themselves, by being attached to someone with a great name and being a patron of him by, by paying him and hoping to maybe influence the influencer with their money. And Paul said when he came to Corinth, he intentionally did none of that, right? You remember, he, he did not come to impress people. He came preaching Christ and him crucified. Foolishness to the Greeks, a stumbling block to the Jews, right? He, he came preaching a foolish message but a powerful message. Well, and there, there are some in this church who aren't very excited of this unimpressive plan that Paul is, is, is laying out, and they're saying, surely this guy can't be an apostle with 
with a capital A. He can't be an apostle. He's not someone we should listen to. So Paul is addressing this issue, and he's saying, well, am I not an apostle? And and we have to know, one, what what does that mean? So there's kind of two uses of the word. I would say a lowercase a, apostle, a general term of someone who is sent out on a mission. But then uh, here, and and what we see mostly in the New Testament is a quick, easy definition of capital A, apostle, is is one who who has seen the resurrected Christ and has been commissioned by him to build the church. I think Ephesians, Ephesians 2.20 says the prophets and apostles are the foundation of the church, which Jesus is the cornerstone. And, and we can get more into this technical definition. There are people who call themselves apostles today. Um, they're confused. But uh, Paul is an apostle. He has seen and been sent to build the church by the resurrected Jesus. In verse 2, he says, even if that weren't true, even if I didn't see the resurrected Jesus, even if I weren't a capital A apostle, look at you. You are my fruit. You are here because I poured into you. You are here because of me. You are my fruit. You should at least consider what I have to say before you completely dismiss me. And then, after defending his apostleship, he goes in to what his right is. Are you ready for this? He says, it is my right to be paid by you. That's a fun verse to preach. It's it's my right to be paid by the church. He starts this argument and he says, he, he, he gives three arguments. One rhetorical, he says, do I not have the right to eat and drink? In verse four, then in verse five, he says, do I not have the right to provide for a sister, a wife? That means Uh, a sister in Christ who is a wife, a believing wife? Do I not have a right to have a believing wife and provide for her like the other apostles do, including the brothers of Jesus and and Peter? And then verse six, are Barnabas and I the only ones who aren't allowed to, to not have a day job? So it seems the other apostles don't have a day job. They're apostles full time, but Barnabas and Paul are tent makers. And he's saying, is it not my right to be paid? Then he lists human arguments. A soldier doesn't pay for his own equipment and pay for himself to go to battle. No, whoever's putting him into battle will, go, will pay for him to go into battle. Then he says the farmer doesn't go to the market to buy apples when he has a full thing of apple trees, he's able to enjoy the fruit that he's grown. Then he gives a third example. The the shepherd is able to enjoy the milk of his livestock. Shouldn't they who labor for the gospel be able to provide from the gospel? Is what he says. And then, if that's not good enough, he gives three biblical arguments. Verse 9, do not muzzle an ox. If you want to compare your pastor to an animal, he's an ox. We're oxen, right? Buff and strong, all of us. All of us are oxen. Uh, Don't muzzle an ox. Verse 13, they who minister in the temple live off the temple. The priests would live off the temple, food and bread and meat. Then verse 14, he he may have been referencing Matthew 10. He says, and this this is... the main argument, what Paul is saying, this is my right, even so hath the Lord ordained that 
They which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. They who work for the gospel should be able to provide for themselves and their families. And that's what Paul has to say here. And this is, the, this is one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, if, if one side of the coin is those who labor for the gospel should be provided for by the gospel, well, the other side is the church is responsible to provide for those who labor for the gospel. So we see the, the church's responsibility is to provide for those who preach. And this is where it gets uncomfortable in today's day and age. You think you and I see so many, we're, we're used to seeing scandalous televangelists who have fallen. We, we've seen Instagram clips, we've seen videos of, of so-called pastors who are really just con men who are getting rich off of victimizing sheep. And these people, they, they, they pop up on, on my Instagram all the time. I, I, I see I, one that I saw multiple times in the past couple weeks was one pastor in Louisiana who was bragging, and, and he was bragging that he was bragging to his congregation, saying, I have the biggest house in Louisiana. And then he got an applause, and he said, I have the biggest house of any preacher in America. And he was bragging on that. That was a good thing to him. And we see that, we see that abuse of this passage, and, and it's a good time to remind ourselves that there are wolves calling themselves Christians. There are wolves in sheep's clothing making a mockery of the Bible, making the mockery of Christianity, and twisting the Bible to make themselves rich. They promise that you'll be happy, healthy, and wealthy if you just have enough faith. And the best way to show that you have enough faith is if you sow a seed of money to my ministry. Shortly after, actually a couple weeks after we left Pikeville, one of these uh, wolves came into Pikeville and was holding a Lord of Revival there. And I saw a clip of one thing he was saying, and it was like, I, you know, someone here is going to give me a thousand dollars and this and that, and you will be blessed. Your debts, all your debts will be forgiven, he said. Financial debts. And this is called the prosperity gospel. And spoiler alert, this is no gospel. This is sending people to hell. And if these, this is a, a demonic abuse of scripture, and if, if they don't repent, if those wolves don't repent and come to Christ, they're gonna end up like the rich man in Luke chapter 16, with the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And what we have to remember, though, is, is we see those abuses or the misuse of Scripture, well, that doesn't negate the truth of Scripture. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? We can't let misuse lead to disuse. And we see this all the time. I think this is, this is huge. This is an argument common today. Um, you see, you see people attacking Christianity, and they say, Christians use the Bible to defend the Atlantic slave trade. And, and that's, that's true. Christians use the Bible to defend the Atlantic slave trade. And the Bible condemns, in Deuteronomy 21.16, condemns chattel slavery altogether. If you kidnap a man and sell him into slavery, you are to be put to death. So the Atlantic slave trade was never... Biblical, but people twisted the Bible and 
defended it anyway. And you have people today saying, see, I can never believe the Bible because people used it to defend slavery. Well, they abused it to defend slavery. They didn't use the truth. They twisted the truth. And this happens left and right. You can fill in your topic. But just because someone twists the Bible, just because someone doesn't know how to read the Bible and it leads to a horrific outcome like the prosperity gospel, we, we don't completely knee-jerk to the other side either. Yes, we reject them, but we, we don't say, you know, I, I see people in the comments, there was this popular Instagram page called Preachers and Sneakers, and they would just show these preachers in these $2,000 shoes that they would just wear one time and then move on. You know, it's like, it's kind of gross. It's kind of icky to me. But, but people would say, see, this is why pastors shouldn't be paid. It's like, well, that's a knee-jerk too far, Right? I understand why you're reacting like that, but God doesn't lay it out that way. Here in this passage and in other passages like 1 Timothy chapter 5, it is the church's responsibility to take care of those who labor for the gospel, pastors and missionaries. And verses 13 and 14 are all you need to, to, to make that clear. But this doesn't look exactly the same way for every single person, right? It may be look different in different places and different times, but, but a general rule of thumb is can those who labor for the gospel support their families? That's a, that's a general rule. Not can they afford a Mercedes or uh, a Corvette. I do like those new Corvettes, though. Um, not can they afford that and then I hear some horror stories of the other side, like, no, we have to keep our pastors humble, so we're, we're going to pay them minimum wage and the bare minimum. And it's like, well, if, if that's how you need to keep your pastors humble, you're probably calling the wrong pastors to your church. But, but the reason we, we take care and we provide for our pastors is so they can devote time to the ministry of the word, like we see in Acts chapter 6. They, they can work more intentionally on gospel advancement. And they don't have to worry about putting food on the table or paying the next bill. And this doesn't mean that every single pastor in every single circumstance will be paid the same way. I know I'm talking about this for a long time, but, but this is what Paul is getting at. There are all kinds of situations. Paul, he refused to be paid. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. He refused to be paid, and that was right for him in his situation. There are churches that need bivocational pastors, and that's right for them in their situations, oftentimes. There are missionaries who need a full-time job to get into a specific country, and they need to do that job well so they can be missionaries there, and that's right for them in their situation. It's going to look different. But the general principle is, verse uh, 13 and 14, those who, who preach the gospel should make their living off the gospel. And the church, if they, if they want solid gospel work in and through them, they should be excited to support the gospel-preaching pastors and missionaries so that they can be freed for gospel work. Now, I'm not saying this. I'm not preaching this because I, I wanted to come up here and talk about money. We're just going verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. But I am saying this for this third point. Oh, that was the church's responsibility, point two. The third point is what all this is leading up to. And the third point is is Paul's sacrifice, Paul's refusal of this right. He, he genuinely had this right. He, he lays out 
the argument as to why he should be paid. He has that right, but he turns it, adan- he turns it away. He turns it down because for the sake of the gospel. He turns it down because in his circumstance, it would be better for the gospel to not receive money from the Corinthians. And remember, like I said, what, what he was arguing, he's using himself as an example in chapter 9 to illustrate chapter 8. In chapter 8, he was highlighting the principle of if, if something causes someone to stumble, don't do it. If being paid by this congregation causes someone to feel like they're winning influence and following this worldly uh, philosophical uh, tradition and and it's increasing their merit, then he won't be paid. He doesn't want to be a stumbling block to them. He's living out the principle of sacrificing for others and he's laying out that principle. For what purpose? For the sake of the gospel. He's making sacrifices for an eternal reward. He's tearing down as many walls as he can so that there will be no stumbling blocks except the cross itself. He's saying, if I'm going to share the gospel, I want Paul to get out of the way and I want them to just be face to face and face with the cross, not with the actions of Paul. And I think that's good for all of us to remember. When you, when I am living the Christian life, when we're trying to love our neighbors well and share the gospel, we need to work hard to make sure that we're removing as many stumbling blocks as we can. And we're not perfect. There's always going to be something that someone's not going to like about how my face looks or how I cut my hair the wrong way or something. But insofar as it's under my control, I want the cross to be the only stumbling block. Not my personality, like, man, everyone hates me because I preach Jesus. No, everyone hates me because I'm a jerk, right? It's like you're just mean to everyone, and you don't tip. You just, you think that leaving a tract is a tip. No, tip, uh, and leave the tract. But, but don't let your actions be a stumbling block, and, and this is what I really want to land on today. This is what the text, I think, is building up to, and it reminds me of the, the verse, uh, few verses that Pastor Dean referred to this morning. He said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. Are you and I willing to lay down our life, lay down our preferences, lay down our rights, lay down our freedoms so that someone else can know and grow in Christ? Are we willing to risk painful conversations Are we willing to risk our reputation? Are we willing to risk going all in for the sake of the gospel? Again, because Jesus went all in for us. Jesus humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. He lived the perfect life, submitting perfectly to the will of the Father. He died an excruciating death on the cross, And then he rose again, not for fun, but for the joy that was set before him. And that joy is partly being united with you and me in eternity. He went all in for you. He has a great reward of immeasurable riches. 
like a man who, who stumbles across a treasure of infinite worth in a field, are you willing to forsake everything, sell everything, and go all in to buy that field, knowing that the field is worth it? Jesus promises that it is worth it to follow him. Paul showed that it is possible to live your life as if Jesus is worth it. So do you believe that Christ is worth going all in for? Are you willing to give up that which you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose? If you don't know Christ, that means laying down your life. It means turning from your own way, turning from your sin, giving your life to Christ, knowing that he lived the perfect life, he died as a substitute, he rose again, that he's the only savior, the only way of salvation. Give your life to him and you will receive eternal life that you cannot lose. And for us who do know Christ, that means laying down our desires and giving them to Christ and to his people. Talk to someone about Jesus this week. Look out for the needs of those around you. Point them to the Savior who went all in for you. So with that, uh, if Barry and Karen want to come up, let's reflect for 30 seconds. What is keeping me, what is keeping you from going all in for Christ, making any sacrifice necessary? What sacrifices might you need to make in order to go all in? What sins might you need to kill? What habits might you need to kill in order to go all in for Christ? And what do you know that you need to do this week? Maybe take that baby step. Maybe, maybe just sharing with someone what you read in your quiet time this week and starting a little gospel conversation, just putting a seed in the ground. How can I go all in for Christ this week? He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I pray we'll live for that reward that we cannot lose. Let's reflect for 30 seconds and then... Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.